Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. On today's episode, I shall be discussing a particular topic which I've decided to reach out to fellow film fans and the podcasting community and get their opinions, as well as obviously telling you mine, all about the movie sequel. So today's topic is all about sequels to films that we love, we loathe, uh, what makes a good sequel, what even makes a bad sequel, uh, and just generally sharing the love and fellow discussion with people that understand what really makes a sequel tick and the workings of it and how a good one can be so good but how a bad one can go so wrong. Mostly it'll be sharing the love for all the good ones here but I will highlight a couple of bad ones once in a while as well and some things that are mentioned in our little uh, discussion here today. I reached out to people on Instagram through our Instagram account which as a quick reminder as well guys if you're not following us on our social media please do. We are at take underscore 97 podcast there. We do also have a Twitter feed as well, uh, but Instagram is where the home is at at the moment for the majority of the time where we post updates with stills of the films that we discuss and relating to the episodes that we put out there. But for now, I got a very mixed range of opinions really and sort of responses. Um, I got people who literally just gave me one word answers and just gave me the name of the films that they liked in the sequels. Even if I asked them, well, why do you like that sequel? They literally just said, I like this sequel which is fair enough. Uh, some people also gave me a little bit more as well, and I also reached out to a few people in particular who I knew would give me some interesting responses relating to their favourite sequels. I will say now as a little bit of a, not a spoiler warning really, but a little heads up for later in the episode, there is one film which has made it onto my top five list of films that I would pick as my top five sequels, and it has been mentioned about three times. <laughs> throughout the, uh, the each of the discussions that I had with people over Instagram and the messages I had. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode, guys. So for now, let's get started on the podcast with this episode all dedicated to the sequel treatment. Simply put, what is a sequel? A sequel is, in the context of a movie, is when you... So you see one film and you enjoy it, and the credits roll, and usually, nine times out of ten, if they've decided to make this into a franchise of films, uh, they will leave some sort of a cliffhanger at the end. Marvel is the absolute sort of god of this right now, and particularly any superhero universe-building genre will do this, and they will leave an open end to be tied up later in another film, or at least continued through a series of films. And the sequel generally is something that carries the story on from the first film and tries to work within, I mean, at least in my opinion, what makes a good sequel, and we'll discuss this a little bit more with some of the opinions I've had in, we have to continue the legacy of what was set down in the first film, uh, because otherwise it might as well just be a separate film with different characters and such, so that that's why you come back for a sequel, because you get to reaffirm yourself with the characters you know and love from the first film, and then you get to, I don't know, explore further and get a little bit deeper into the world that has been set up. But yeah, a good sequel will retain and utilise the characters from the first film, or or at least a character from the first film, and carry on the story and keep moving forward. So really, the sequel really is the movie version of a TV series. You know, TV shows 
everything is serialized and episodic and naturally by the end of one episode you have to continue to the next one that's the point you're meant to watch them in chunks although in the way ways of binge watching these days you have to most people just watch it all back to back so you might as well just make six hour long movies but at the same time you know generally the idea is back with older broadcasting methods of tv you would watch a episode one week and you'd you'd wait another seven days or so before the next episode comes out and you'd have time to sort of collect your thoughts think about what happened in the last episode and then watch it the next week and discover what happens in the story the same applies to films except obviously with films they're much more bigger budgets and you discover things you have to wait usually a year (laughs) or two depending on what sort of franchise you're going into uh, rather than waiting a simple seven days for the story to continue unless you get into the film series a little bit later on and you've already got the sequels out in front of you so for instance i was late to the marvel party i saw captain america the winter soldier first i know it's completely wrong order to watch them in but i don't care Uh, (laughs) i saw that one first so i was late to the party so really you know you can people with sequels can come in later especially with the ways of streaming now films being readily available online so much and also in disc form as well if you're into physical media but that's generally sort of your basic introduction to the sequel now what i'm going to do is i'm going to go through a couple of quick fire ones and then a few examples that are like a little bit more in depth then and then by the end of the episode i will tell you what my top five picks are for my favorite sequels um but i want to open up the conversation a little bit more so we're going to go into the next part of the podcast now where i'm going to read out some examples of people's favorite sequels and also some opinions here and there about what makes a good sequel uh, you know what to avoid that kind of thing that makes a bad one some of these were like i said were very short so let me get straight to it and others were a little bit more in depth so let's have a little look at this so um the first one i'll just start off with a short and simple one uh, i've sent this via instagram by hattie the hatter thank you for sending this in she actually sent in a little reason why she liked this film but the shrek 2 shrek 2 i don't know why i said the shrek 2 but shrek 2 <laughs> um as her favorite sequel she the answer that hattie the hatter gave was the reason why shrek 2 is her favorite sequel is it expands the fairy tale universe has a consistent plot and has some of the best jokes and memorable moments from the franchise. Uh, Now, for anyone who doesn't know Shrek, obviously there have been four Shrek films, plus a load of short films, and I think the Puss in Boots spin-off as well. But that's a point to mention, actually. So Shrek 2 is the animated DreamWorks juggernaut that started in the early 2000s, and I have fond memories of Shrek 2. I don't think I ever saw it in the cinema. I watched it on DVD, and for anyone who knows the shrek the two the dvd of it you will know the single most best special feature that there has ever existed the interactive far far away idol so it's a ripoff of american idol um it's even got simon cowell in there as well it's really funny um and you get to choose who um wins the competition it's this singing competition set in um the land of far far away which the word far far away it's meant to be the fairy tale version of the Hollywood Hills because Far, Far Away is written in these big giant letters which look just like the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles. I, I think, you know, Shrek 2, it does a good job as a sequel, really. It is, as Hattie the Hatter mentions, it expands the universe that we're already introduced to because Shrek itself, the first one, 
it's a universe where I don't you, you can't even say it's set on Earth or you know it's set in some sort of completely different universe on its own where fairy tale creatures exist. They are a real thing. They all coexist. Then we get to see the likes of Pinocchio, the three little pigs, fairy godmothers, and all of the. Particularly, actually, when we I think it's when we get to Shrek the Third. I think the um, third installment of the franchise, we get to meet all the different princesses <laughs> so we see snow white uh rapunzel um all best friends uh sleep uh princess aurora sleeping beauty where they all meet up and they have like a little mother's meeting as it were to talk to fiona about her so princess fiona who's the fictional princess in shrek in the shrek universe about her you know her impending marriage and baby and everything like that and um you know but shrek 2 i think it really you know the one thing that comes to mind with Shrek 2, as well as that special feature that I remember so well from the uh, DVD release, is, you know, it, like they say, it is a funny film. It's got some really good jokes. You utilise more of what you discovered, so you get to see more of fairy tale characters interacting uh, against Prince Charming, who's meant to be a good guy but is actually the bad guy in this case and <laughs> his mother the fairy godmother who is voiced by the amazing jennifer saunders and she has a moment in the film my top highlight from that film would be i need a hero <laughs> the bonnie tyler song and i just think yeah as an animated film goes i know i'm a bit jaded because it is something nostalgic for me from my childhood as well i just think it's a cracking second film and it doesn't copy what the first one does Yes, it uses the same characters, but we advance the plot. It's the meeting the parents thing. Shrek and Fiona are together. They got to meet Fiona's parents. Yeah, it's a really simple story. But at the end, we also have this subplot of, you know, Prince Charming wants to gain Fiona's trust and love and wants to take her away from this ogre that is Shrek. But you break it down into that it's really simple but at the same time a really effective storyline and that can be said for so many films uh, it doesn't rewrite what the first one did it continues the story and advances the plot tenfold really in that respect so i do agree hattie the hatter shrek 2 i do love that i appreciate your feedback on that one and the next one that i've got is a suggestion from the good times bad movies podcast uh, these guys, I love these guys. Um, if you haven't checked their podcast out, please do. I mean, I'm going to say that about a couple of people today, but please check their podcast out. It is a really good listen. They are just an incredible duo. They cover some great, interesting topics, some really brilliant films that also, you know, in many respects, some terrible moments as well, but they just do such a great job. I just love their banter and their way they bounce off each other with the topics that they discuss. So, Guys at the Good Times Bad Movies podcast, give them a check out. But they have sent in a suggestion of Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, specifically Temple of Doom. And uh, I actually got a little bit of an explanation for this one as well. So they stated that the, the film is so fun. Indiana Jones is a legendary character. The sets are awesome. Uh, they're a big sucker for, I don't know which one of the two sent this in, because I don't think they signed it. But which whoever sent it in was like, they're a big sucker for temples and jungles. Also being a movie for kids at the time, it was pretty scary and violent. Kalima. <laughs> uh, that's a very, honestly, I have to agree, actually. So I don't want to keep agreeing with everyone, but Temple of Doom really, again, is a really good uh, movie sequel. I appreciate the fact that this film 
lots of people obviously there's a big debate over the timeline and the order i i, well, I say big debate there is like evidence out there that the temple of doom and last crusade and you know the whole original trilogy then they occur in the wrong order so i think it's temple of doom's meant to come first before raiders of the lost ark i think if i remember correctly i can't remember if that's correct or not but there is that whole discussion of which one comes first so really in a way if this was the first film this should be the original and raiders of the lost ark is the sequel so which therefore makes this argument redundant but because of the release order it is a sequel <laughs> um but yeah i do agree i love a bit of indiana jones i haven't actually watched indiana jones for a long time actually so when this suggestion came through um from the good times bad movies podcast i was like do you know what i actually should watch indiana jones sometime and i think uh, yeah, I, I've got to, I've got past the Temple of Doom, actually. So, you know, I've started rewatching them. And I do think that whilst I enjoy The Last Crusade and I love seeing Sean Connery play against Harrison Ford as his dad, they're such a great dynamic duo. I love it as the third installment. But I do think that Temple of Doom really is so much fun, as they say, as the guys at the podcast say. I, I think that Indiana Jones is a, I don't want to use the term swashbuckling, but he has the same effect as, like, you know, the likes of Cat Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean, another franchise I could mention. He has that buccaneer adventure sensibility, and he is really a character with no limits, but we've been limited to, obviously, we're going to have a fifth film come out soon, how good that will be, only time will tell. But, as we say, it's the farewell to Harrison Ford, because he's farewell to Star Wars, so you might as well do Indiana Jones as well. Uh, I, I think out of all of the sequels in the series of Indiana Jones, I have to agree, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is undoubtedly a classic and started the trend for this kind of a film and this character, the obsession that people had, you know, George, George Lucas being up there and Steven Spielberg at their prime. And at the same time, because of the when it was released, so it was released in the 1980s, 1970s late 70s early 80s we get to discover that the it's this sentiment of the old time so battling old-fashioned good versus evil archaeologist versus nazis that's the basic premise of indiana jones really um but temple of doom actually takes you away from that uh, you get a little bit of a sort of a little skit at the beginning of the film with short round and um, i can't remember the woman's name i always forget her name but the the lady in temple of doom um his love interest then who miraculously disappears by the time we get to the next film or if you will by raiders of the lost ark but who knows what went down there we get to understand how indiana jones operates under this you know he's a teacher is archaeologist as well uh, and templar doom really demonstrates that whole adventure style of play in terms of a adventurer looking for treasure and stuff it, like it takes the whole buried treasure thing to a new level in a way indiana jones really himself is the more sophisticated version of a pirate but obviously he always uses the it deserves to be in a museum as an excuse uh, <laughs> for his pillaging of, of various sacred grounds uh, it's like it's a sacred artifact it belongs in a museum that's you know if it belongs in a museum apparently and indy says so then apparently that's okay um <laughs> although if you watch raiders of the lost ark and you see the fate of the german 
soldiers and Nazi people, they don't actually make it out as well. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could say they didn't want to take it to a museum. They just wanted to use it for its sacred properties. So that's why. Uh, but back to the Temple of Doom, though. Temple of Doom, I just think, has some really cool sequences. For instance, when they're on the run, I think it's the like the underground mine so in the temple itself, but the the whole chase sequence, like, that's the thing about sequels, you have to build upon what you've learnt from the first film, when you release it in that order, anyway. Indy has that opening sequence, where Harrison Ford's character goes looking for this idol, and that whole sequence, it's not even related to the rest of the film, really, it's just the good opening sting. And we see him running away from this boulder, all these booby traps he tries to escape as well. And then on top of that, we get to see in the second instalment of this franchise, a similar thing kind of happened, like, but this intense chase scene. So we have a chase scene, again, another skit at the beginning of the film, where he makes his way into this airplane and escapes the clutches of these people that he's, uh, he's undercover from. And then in the actual middle of the film itself, you know, we get short round and indie uh, and that lady, that singer lady, get together and in the it is mine i think like a little mini railway the little that chase sequence absolutely i adore it's so fun it's so fast paced it's amazing and also it's intercut between a few other moments between like i think the cult then should we say is all drawn together indy struggling to escape uh, and you got short round trying to find indy uh, as they make their way through the catacombs of these underground caves that have been built by all these people that it's steeped in all the sort of superstitions of a cult following then, of this cult group that is in there. I can't obviously spiel on about it too much, but I do love the fast-paced action of Temple of Doom. And obviously the other thing to mention, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry I'm going to spoil it, but the moment where, it, it's the bit where the bridge collapses, the bridge collapsing and that nail-biting moment of Indy holding on for dear life, like literally that is one of my favourite moments ever from a Temple of Doom. That and... Some of the really quick, fast-paced jokes that Short Round comes out with, I absolutely adore that. It, just an amazing film from start to finish. So thank you, Good Times, Bad Movies podcast, for that suggestion there. I will definitely be re-watching these films again. I might even do a review on them because they are so good. They are so fun. Uh, and I don't think they get spoken about much anymore, uh, uh, that much anyway, apart from the fact that they're doing a fifth one and it's probably going to be terrible. But we'll see how that turns out. The next one that I've got, uh, this is a short and sweet one, <laughs> our graphic designer, Keely Eastwood, uh, who designs all the graphics for Tate 97. Once again, thank you, Keely, for doing all the work you do for Tate 97. It's much appreciated. Um, she didn't give me a reason why she liked this one, but I feel it's worth noting anyway. She says that her favourite sequel is Mamma Mia 2, or Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. Um, I have a few things to say about this film. Now, whilst I do enjoy a good musical, I really do, and... Who can not love a bit of ABBA, especially now in the at the time of recording this, ABBA have just released a new album. I do have a confession. Mamma Mia 2 really should just be the only Mamma Mia, unless they just left it and just left it at Mamma Mia 1. Because really, Mamma Mia 2 breaks the sequel rule, or at least one of the sequel rules anyway that I would adhere to, is maintaining the universe and continuing the story for characters that you know and love. Now, whilst it does do that... We have a bit of a continuation in the present day, although there's a bit of a debate when this film actually takes place because the way it's made out with the age of 
The character of Sophie, who is the daughter of Meryl Streep's character, Donna. Ah, yeah, there's a little problem with that. It's meant to be, I think this film, the second film, is meant to be set in 2005, yeah. A couple of the characters have up-to-date iPhones, which are accurate to the year that the film has come out. <laughs> so there's a nice little little problem there. Something to ruin Mamma Mia 2 for you. But the main problem, I think, is, you know, so we follow the character of Sophie. And spoilers ahead if you haven't seen the film, but yeah... Meryl Streep's character Donna is absent, that's all I'll say, in the present day scenes. And we obviously we follow on the story from the last film and we see where Sophie's at and where all her dads are. So Colin Firth, Piers Brosnan <laughs> and um, Stellan Skazgard. You know, those th three dads, whoever the real dad really is, we never really find out. That's something else that really gripes me about Mamma Mia too. We don't actually find out who her real dad is. I know it's meant to be like, oh, it's really nice. She's accepting all of them as her father. Really, in real life or in a real serious drama, she would have had a DNA test done by now and she would have <laughs> discovered who her dad really was. I'd laugh actually if that did happen and she discovered none of them were her dad and there was a secret fourth guy. <laughs> a secret fourth guy that we never even see in any of the films but yeah so obviously there's a few little bits there the other thing it breaks the rule of it rewrites what the first film did so <laughs> like i know they were on a budget in the first film in 2008 when they released the first Mamma mia but when we see so donna discovers when she sings the song Mamma mia when she discovers the three men in this old goat house which Sophie has put them up in she has like little visions of what they used to be there's little wibbly wobbly lines across the screen where they transform back into their younger selves I have a big issue in the costume department and wardrobe and makeup department for Mamma Mia here we go again they didn't look exactly like they used to compared to the first film's flashbacks so I, I think it, the most obvious one is um actually no to be fair there's two obvious ones colin firth's character looks so colin firth's all dressed up like a punk rocker piercings and eye guy liner makeup and stuff like you know like, like a proper rocker with a leather jacket and everything the only thing that seems to have made it into mamma mia 2 is the leather jacket uh, you know and slightly longer hair but that's about it really he doesn't look anything like the way they dressed him up in that flashback and especially Piers brosnan's character of sam he does not look anything like, <laughs> like he had like this weird 70s looking tash and long hippie long hair or something. In the actual film itself, yeah, he's got longer hair, but uh, he looks ever so slightly similar to the way Harry looks, uh, the character of Harry played by Colin Firth. I think the only one they really paid homage to or like actually got right was um, Stellan Skarsgård's character of Bill. They, the actor they got for the younger version of Bill, they actually got him, you know, longer hair, and he looks very zany and sort of out there and stuff. I think he's probably the closest one they actually got right, <laughs> to be honest with you. And then there's, you know, several moments which are outlined in Donna's diary, which are read out to much amusement by Sophie and her bridesmaids, her best friends, during the song Honey Honey in Mamma Mia. Little moments and sequences. There's a few inaccuracies between the films, let's just say that, and I'll leave it at that. But if you ignore the inaccuracies, you can enjoy the film. <laughs> but, you know, Keely, I appreciate your suggestion. I too do love Mamma Mia too for the music, except for Waterloo, because Waterloo's a terrible version. I hate hearing it in a British accent. It doesn't sound right, but that's just my opinion. The Mamma Mia 2, really, it's got a little extra story of what happened after the first film and what's happening to Sophie in the present day. But then we relive all the moments we've heard talked about in Spoken Whispers in the first film. So whilst the first film still has validity 
Uh, it kind of didn't need to happen, but it happened anyway. And then you got share on top of that because, you know, capitalise on the money. <laughs> money, money, money. And all the bad ABBA jokes I could come up with right now. So, <laughs> And moving on to another one. This is a really quick one, but something that has to be mentioned because everybody loves mentioning. Sequel to a particular Batman film. It's not my favourite Batman film hasten to say I'm gonna get told off for saying this because everybody loves the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight is this suggestion that has come up from the how was that movie Instagram account thank you for bringing that up to my attention because the Dark Knight I do appreciate what the Dark Knight does but I personally prefer Batman Begins I know it's not a sequel but I prefer Batman Begins the story of Batman Begins because I thought it was quite boring when I first watched Batman Begins but then I watched it again and I actually really enjoyed it I did enjoy Batman Begins and the story that was going on and the visuals and stuff. The Dark Knight's really good for visuals and it's undoubtable that Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker will remain completely and totally immortal for years and years and decades to come. But I do think that the film itself is kind of so-so. It's a bit long for what's actually going on. It's basically psychological torture between Batman, Christian Bale's version of Batman, and Heath Ledger's Joker. And you could have put what happens into the film into one of those half an hour or even like an hour long two-part episode of the Batman TV series. <laughs> Just a darker version uh, than the 1966 stuff. But at the end of the day, The Dark Knight, I respect for its visuals and the way, you know, the techniques will be used. It, everybody who loves Christopher Nolan literally wets themselves at the sight of it. I'm not saying I don't like it entirely. There are definitely things about it that I appreciate and love, such as Heath Ledger. And I do think that Christian Bale's Batman does come into his own here. He really is established then by this point. Because that's the thing when Batman begins. He's, It's all about him establishing himself. And that's the one thing about that film I don't really like, is how slow and really drawn out him becoming Batman is. Like, I'm not even saying that because I can't watch a long movie because I can watch films that are over two and a half hours long, but it doesn't mean they have to be two and a half hours long. And that goes for The Dark Knight. And I appreciate it, but it's not my favourite sequel, personally. Everybody does rave about it and love it, so that's my unpopular sequel opinion here. But I think that The Dark Knight is a good example of a well-made superhero, well, well-made Batman film then and a great performance by one single actor but the, with some good key moments but I think it could have been shorter but it's definitely better than Bat The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> That's all I'll say there. Moving on though to the next opinion and little snippet that I've been sent in. I've been sent in a bit of audio from a fellow podcaster, my very good friend Ace from Films Unchained podcast uh, here is a quick little snippet of him telling you why he loves The Godfather. Take it away, Ace. What's up, Take 97 crew? This is Ace of the Films Unchained podcast, a frequent Kubrick collaborator of David, especially with our recent project, a pod series to be specific, 50 Years of a Clockwork Orange. When thinking of a great sequel, aside from the already mentioned The Dark Knight, I think of The Godfather Part Two as it is a great masterpiece directed by Francis Ford Coppola after its predecessor, The Godfather Part One. The film got everything you need to make a great sequel. Aside from the great acting and the cast and crew, you got a quality shock value and memorable moments, more than one to be honest, that will take you from what you expect to what you will never expect. For example, I'm gonna spoil it for you as I mentioned, Michael finding out that his own brother betrayed him all along 
and that led to him getting eliminated from Michael's life, sleeping with the fishes. The second is the character development. We get to see how Vito became Don Corleone and the original Godfather. At the same time, we see a different side of Michael Corleone from the first movie, altering his own personality as a man who wanted nothing to do from the Mafia to be a powerful man, a more dangerous man to be specific. That made me to become more invested in the story because I'm seeing a newer version of the character that still connects to the first movie, but much more different. It is also continuous, which makes every scene, especially little ones, counts and adds more value to the story that will also connect to its prequel. For example, the symbols with the orange, the dark room, and the door. It will still connect to its origin. And last but not least, the quotes. Part 1 was the famous quote, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Part 2 will still reference that, I understand, but it has its own quotes, such as, keep your friends close but your enemies closer, and I don't feel I have to wipe everybody out, Tom, just my enemies. We've seen horrible sequels, such as Halloween, Joel Schumacher's Batman, Die Hard, and Rambo, that will make you less invested into the stories and not bother watching them. That's basically wasting time. So these factors I mentioned from The Godfather Part 2 makes it a great sequel exceeding expectations and I believe that anyone who wants to make a sequel should learn a lot from this movie, The Dark Knight, The Avengers series, and many more. I'll get back to David. See you later, everyone. Thank you very much, Ace. That was very much appreciated for you sending that in. And I just, yeah, The Godfather Part 2 is one of those ones again it's one that loads of film people really cite as their favorite sequel as a really good one it's up there with for instance empire strikes back uh, in the star wars franchise you know it takes it from one level and makes it one better obviously the godfather part two is a weird one because it's a sequel but it's also a prequel to the events of the first one so we go back in time but we also follow the story on as a traditional sequel should do from the first film so obviously the first film ends with that moment and we, we see the shot at the door and it shuts and we just go to the credits godfather part 2 continues in that lavish style that francis ford coppola set up and he builds upon that story and the characters and we're not just randomly going into some other story that's the godfather part 2 but it's a different story uh, it's not related to the first one at all i hate those kind of films so for instance we've got a good example i'd say because christmas is around the corner when this episode goes out i would say the home alone franchise is something i'd like to point out the first film, brilliant, love it, good stuff. Second film is my favourite of the two, of the original two films. And I kind of understand when they say, oh, the concept of Home Alone is this. We're going to put the Home Alone branding on it, uh, but a different story. I kind of didn't mind it when they did it with the third one. The premise was the same, but it was a completely different story, different characters. I didn't mind it too much, but it wasn't really Home Alone. But I do accept what they were doing. Home Alone 4, however like I said about um, Mamma Mia 2, it rewrites what happened. <laughs> well, not even that. It literally goes to the extreme of trying to reboot it, but also act as a sequel because it's called Home Alone 4. There's a character called Kevin, but he's not Kevin. And, and then we also get the likes of the character of Marv, who's not actually Marv because he's too short and skinny to be Marv. 
well, too short anywhere to be Marv. He looks like he should be Harry, but Harry's not in it. And it just doesn't seem likely. It seems unlikely as hell. And I don't know what's going on with that home suite, home alone thing, or whatever it's called, the one on Disney+. Plus. I know that's meant to be a little bit more connected to the original two films, because I think it's got Buzz, the character of Buzz McAllister, the, bro- the older brother of Kevin, in it as a police officer, but I, I haven't watched that, and I don't... I mean, I might watch it for a bit of a laugh, but I can't see that's going to be any good, but... It's probably terrible, but let me know. Moving on to the next one in our sort of suggestions that were sent in to us, we have got George and Dan from Infinite Film Club Podcast. Now, these guys, I've recently got in touch with them. I even submitted something for one of their episodes, Unpopular Film Opinions. It was a really good episode, guys, so thanks. Anyone who hasn't checked them out, please check them out. Uh, they've sent a few, actually, in, so, uh, so I'm just going to read out a little bit of what they've sent me. But here's what they sent, so... First of all, George from Infinite Film Club said this. Firstly, in his opinion, greatest sequel ever is Terminator 2. So that's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the James Cameron film. And I'm sure that will be a common opinion, he says. Uh, the reason I think it's so brilliant in, is the way that James Cameron changed the Terminator into a good guy. I was unfortunately too young to watch T2 at the cinema, but I know from looking back that all the trailers and marketing kept the fact that he was now the hero a secret. I think that's genius. Even when you watch T2, it's not clear that he's the good guy until about 30 minutes in. Amazing. Uh, I bet cinema goers back in 1991 were blown away by that twist. He then goes on to explain what he thinks would make a good sequel and what makes a good sequel in general. So um, a good sequel needs to keep the lore from the first film, but explore things teased in it as well. So for example, Star Wars A New Hope, uh, we are introduced to the Jedi and the Force, etc. And the film is self-contained story. But in Empire Strikes Back, it is expanded to show Yoda and the wider galaxy. And this feels like a natural progression. Nothing was suddenly introduced in the second film it followed on, but expanded upon the groundwork laid in the first. In his, in George's opinion, Empire feels like it perfectly complements the first film, takes the characters we know, they act in a similar way, but we see them in new situations and locations. Bigger and better, but still consistent with what we saw in the first. And one last thought from George, back to James Cameron, what an awesome idea it was to make Aliens, so another one he's mentioned is Aliens, an action film. I think anyone else making the second Alien film would have tried to make Alien 2 more creepy, more tense, darker, and with even bigger jump scares than the first. But Cameron probably knew that you can't top a classic, so tweaked the genre. Kept the same heroine, kept the same lore, but took it into a more bombastic direction and made a great sequel. And for me, just to sort of note on from that point there, I love Aliens. Aliens is one of my favourite sequels. I know lots of people say, oh, but Aliens, the original one, we love Alien. Yeah, but Aliens really expands that, like, as George just said there, it really expands on the universe. Like, we're still in the same world and everything, and we're still, you know, the aliens are still the aliens we met in the first film, but we get to learn more about them. So, you know, I think one point that is brought up in the next little comment that I'm going to see, which again is aliens related, the alien queen is introduced. Uh, We get to see even more of Ellen Ripley than we did in the first one because she's there right from the beginning. She's there from the beginning of the first film as well, but obviously... We have to pick off every single other crew member on the first film <laughs> until we get to her as the last woman standing. And we get to enjoy more action of her being in the know then. And we enjoy seeing her 
being this leader for this team of people who are going back to the alien planet, uh, this colony world that has been left for dead, essentially, and she knows how the aliens operate, how the xenomorphs work, and she tries to warn them, but she's like a cautionary tale, but at the same time, no one really listens to her until the last minute. And as for, you know, action sequences, as George says, it's brilliant. We love to see the that moment at the end of the film where it's like, don't you touch her, put her down, you know, where she's in the big, the metal suit. Oh, I just, I love that bit where she faces off against the alien queen. It's just amazing. Um, back to his other point, though, about Terminator 2, though. Again, it's a great sequel because it changes up the format, but not so much that ignores what, happened in the last one so it carries on the story from the first terminator film but it subverts your expectations for arnold schwarzenegger's character to be the bad guy and makes you think that you know oh it's a sequel it's terminator he's going to be brought back from the dead or something or reconstructed as a new model and he's going to be this bad guy like he was in the first one but he's not and i think that truly really does like george says makes Terminator 2 stand out from the rest. And the same goes for Aliens, because, you know, he James Cameron switches the genres up. It's a bit ironic that James Cameron's the one that is the king of the sequels, in my opinion. I think I've said this before, but I think he did a really good job on making sequels. I'm not saying he should make a sequel to Titanic, or, I mean, I know he's doing Avatar, the sequels now. He's doing lots of sequels on Avatar, but... Uh, we'll see how well they turn out. It might be good. The second one might be good, and then all the other subsequent ones in the franchise will be rubbish. Um, <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. Just some last points from George as well. So the main things are about making a good sequel, introducing the world and the lore in number one and expanding it in number two. Characters should act in a way befitting the first film. New locations and situations are definite, but make sure the characters act in the right way to these situations. And finally, a surprise or change in the genre or some character development can elevate the sequel to the highest point. But the surprise or change in the genre should be warranted and feel natural and feel like it could actually happen within the world that has already been set up. And that's what George thinks makes a good sequel then from Infinite Film Club pod podcast. Um, his co-host Dan also sent something in, but <laughs> it's very strange how similar they are, but I'll read it out anyway. So personally, he thinks a great sequel expands on what uh, is good about the original, fair enough, uh, but breaks free from the previous film's constraints and expectations. Uh, so the story must move forward. Sequels that just rehash their predecessors are usually pre-functionary. Evil Dead 2 is a possible exception. One director has nailed the great sequel formula twice. Both of these sequels would be in my top five sequels of all time. No prizes for guessing who, and I, don't, I think you know where this is going, guys. It's James Cameron. Terminator 2, he cites again. Judgment Day and Aliens are the close to perfect in terms of sequels. Both recycle and repurpose elements from their originals, but more importantly, they expand, reinvent, and even switch genres, as George has already said as well. In Dan's opinion, and he understands that others may disagree, both films are superior to their predecessors. Now, I'm going to sort of add a little bit to that. I actually do agree with Dan in this point. I think that Aliens is better than Alien, and Terminator 2 Judgment Day certainly adds more. I think because Arnold Schwarzenegger is the main character, you kind of want to root for him anyway, so the fact that he's become the hero in the second film rather than the bad guy in the first, you feel like it's a natural progression to be like, yeah, I'm supporting this guy, he's come to the good side, and now we've got a definite good versus evil kind of thing going on. But I do agree that they both have their one-upness 
on their originals. I think Alien, I think, is very close to Aliens, but Terminator 2 Judgment Day definitely outweighs the original Terminator, but that's just my opinion, and also Dan's as well. So he also continues to say they have been so successful in building on each mythology that you'd be forgiven for not realising that many of the elements introduced in the sequels weren't in the originals. So, for instance, I mentioned the Alien Queen a second ago. She's not actually in the original at all. Nothing is mentioned in the original film. We're just dealing with aliens on the spaceship that have infested the Nostramus. Um, but you'd be forgiven for that because it's this cool extra thing that's been added into the film universe. These examples are even better when you look at the absolute... Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the amount of crap sequels uh, that followed each franchise. <laughs> he also agreed, like I said as well, he also agrees he hopes that Cameron strikes again with Avatar 2. I hope so too, but we'll see how that goes. The next one as well, so, you know, just before we leave that, I love... Aliens and Terminator 2, they're great sequels, but let's move on to the next one. So thanks again to George and Dan from Infinite Film Club Podcast. Please give them a, a listen. They're really good. Thank you very much, guys, for sending your stuff in. Uh, the next one, I think it's one of the last ones that I've got in, is Kev from Pop Culture Vultures on Instagram. He has sent in... <laughs> I'm going to make this a little bit shorter because it's been discussed a little bit already, but his favourite sequel is also Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves Aliens uh, from 1986. That's his favourite of many sequels, but he also likes Mad Max 2, Back to the Future Part 2, The Dark Knight, and Empire Strikes Back, just to name a few. One I am extremely fond of because of the way James Cameron, so Aliens he means, uh, James Cameron opens up the universe for Alien and takes the audience on a roller coaster of a ride through suspense, horror, drama, and action. Aliens is a well-rounded continuation of the much-renowned original directed Ridley Scott film in 1979. That raised the bar for this genre of film by creating a world of terror and drama set within one location and introducing the world to the best female action hero of all time, which I, I have to agree with you, Kev. Absolutely. Ellen Ripley. Uh, changing the landscape by making Ripley the hero was game-changing and imaginative at the time and paved the way for many strong female roles to come in cinema. What Cameron does with this sequel is he takes that further by incorporating her backstory to flesh out the three-dimensional character that is not only badass but vulnerable at the same time. Uh, this movie is the first movie on steroids with excitement, thrilling experience and most of all heart. The characters are well written with witty dialogue and many many one-liners uh, i have to agree one of these he's highlighted is game over man it's game over uh spitz hudson <laughs> when all hell breaks loose uh, <laughs> all star cast and delivery on every level in their respective roles aliens is the complete sequel and a complete film that pays homage to its predecessor and ventures into new realms in the most entertaining way oh and let's not forget the classic pulsing soundtrack by the great james horner which uh, thank you kev for pointing that one out because i have to say that's a great point as well the movie lives on after all these years and so far nothing has ever come close to it kev the last sequel sharing vulture of pop culture signing off i mean i know i've read a lot of that there but absolutely i could not agree more kev absolutely that is a brilliant example so obviously aliens we've talked about a lot now and that film as well as Terminator 2, genuine, exciting films to watch, and I highly recommend anyone to watch those. So again, check out the Pop Culture Vultures on Instagram. Um, they should be on our followers list. You should be able to find them there. They're a brilliant podcast and a brilliant duo. So thank you very much for submitting that, guys. But that's about it in terms of people who've recommended things. Uh, one thing, I was talking to my girlfriend the other night about her favourite sequels and stuff, and uh, she mentioned Finding Dory. 
Finding Dory, the Pixar film, which is the sequel to Finding Nemo, which literally is the same world, same universe, but then it expands on it because we get to learn about a character's backstory. But it also continues the narrative of what happened in the first film. And I do appreciate that. And uh, for kids, it's a good sequel as well. I feel that's a, it's a good one to mention as a last off there. I did say I would come back to my top five sequels. I won't go into too much detail about them. But Aliens 1986 by James Cameron, again, that is on my top five for definite. I think that's my number one uh, sequel that I love. Closely followed by Back to the Future Part 2, which was mentioned by Kev just now a second ago. I think Back to the Future Part 2, it's one of those ones where it intervenes, a bit like Mamma Mia 2 tries to do, where it intervenes and goes back into the past and flashbacks into previous events before the film but it actually goes back into the first film and integrates the narrative. So you're really watching Back to the Future Part 1 and Back to the Future Part 2 at the same time. Obviously, if you haven't seen the first one, you were, you'll be a little bit more, oh, God, it's all happening at once. But I really do love the way that we get to see two versions of Mai, two versions of Doc uh, on screen together, older Biff, younger Biff, slightly younger, older Biff, middle-aged Biff. I just love the fact that Back to the Future Part 2 it expands on the universe like George and Dan have said as well. You know, you really get to know this world again. It doesn't break the rules, but it also has fun with the elements of time travel. And lots of people base their time travel fan fictions and all sorts of other writings and stuff on Back to the Future Part 2. It's not foolproof. There is paradoxical issues in there, but I do love it. It's absolutely a laugh a minute sort of thing. I do love it. And if you love sci-fi and 80s nostalgia back to future part two is definitely one for you and i think part three is a the third installment of the trilogy is a brilliant film but back, part two for me is my favorite and it's on my top five blade runner 2049 more of a recent example denny villeneuve who's recently done the new dune film um i haven't seen that yet unfortunately uh, just yet but i think blade runner is a visual masterpiece in the beginning anyway so 2049 i think really takes the lore of the first one and continues the story and asks the question of what happened to Rick Deckard after the credits rolled. There's something about Ridley Scott properties where they happen and then somebody else takes up the reins and they turn out to be fairly decent. 2049 is a visual masterpiece even more so than the first film was and it definitely expands on more things like the ideas of replicants being able to give birth and reproduce which is something we weren't introduced to in the first film, but it's still it's a mystery, and it's a game-changer. And at the same time, you know, you've got personal stylistics, which Villeneuve has entered in, so Ridley Scott is British, lots of rain. Villeneuve, there's lots of snow involved and sort of more colder, more foggier landscapes in his film, and it just, I think, Blade Runner, I'll have to do a review on it, because it's a cracking film. Both of them are cracking films. Um, Toy Story 2, as another Pixar one, Again, it really adds emotional depth to the characters that you already know and love, and it creates some absolutely hilarious moments from start to finish, and iconic moments, and a rip-off of <laughs> the Star Wars sequel moment of I Am Your Father with Emperor Zerg and Buzz. <laughs> I don't know whether Zerg actually is meant to be his father, but there you go. That's, you know, all we're going to leave it on there. And we get introduced to some new characters, you know, Jesse the Cowgirl and bullseye the horse all these new characters they fit in so well to the universe and it continues to create an enriching world that pixar set up in the first film with the ability to then carry on to the third and fourth films whether you think that the fourth one was needed or not after the third one uh but yeah toy story 2 definitely up there for me so yeah 
Aliens, Back to the Future Part 2, Blade Runner 2049, Toy Story 2. And finally, I said that I don't really particularly like The Dark Knight much, and I will follow up on my comment. My favourite sequel, Batman sequel in particular, is Batman Returns. I've said this a hundred times already, but Batman Returns, if you've listened to my decade series of the 90s, um, you'll know why I like that film so much. I just think stylistically, Tim Burton nailed it. He got it right in 1989, but then in the 1992 film, Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton, the best Batman. Do not care what anyone says, Michael Keaton is the best Batman. And um, I cannot wait for Michael Keaton to appear in the Flash film that's coming out soon. I haven't been a great fan of some of the new DC films, I must admit. But I do think that the Flash film is going to be very cool. Because we've got multiple versions of different characters that you know and love. And Michael Keaton, back in the Batsuit. Cannot wait for that. Absolutely excited for that. So yeah, and uh, I have to give honourable mention to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Because how could you not? That's all I've really got to say really on... um, this episode of Take 97, so the sequels edition then. Thank you so much to everybody who submitted things to be said and read out and little shout-outs that I've given throughout the episode. It's been a pleasure reading them out and discussing the films and sort of getting your thoughts and opinions out there. And it's nice to see some similar things that we both and all of us enjoy, specifically Aliens. (laughs) Aliens is the ultimate sequel, apparently, and that is the verdict by the end of this episode of take 97 so um once again thank you to ace from films unchained george and dan from infinite film club podcast kev from pop culture vultures how was that movie kitty eastwood and hattie the hatter and all the other people that i also read some of your responses as well there are so many sequels i could mention but i can't get them all into one episode so thank you so much for everything that you have sent in and that's a wrap on take 97 a film podcast the sequels edition And I will see you on the next episode, guys, for more film recommendations, film reviews, and film talks and chit-chat. Thank you very much for listening. See you later.